Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of No Story Left Behind. This week we sat down with my buddy Kiko Murphy. He works out at the local gym. We started talking about this uh, coming on the podcast probably about a year ago or so. We had a huge blast sitting down talking to him. As you can tell, we weren't in the studios for this. This was remote. And as myself and Justin, and we had a blast. Kiko had... A rather storied uh, background growing up in Hawaii and moving to Wisconsin and why he ended up going in the military. I hope you enjoy it and let me know what you think. Didn't screw it up this time. Yet. So welcome back everyone to a new episode of No Story Left Behind. This week we are not at Blind Ninja Studios, you can probably hear. Uh, instead, Justin Collins, who you might know from Rules of the Arena, is sitting up with me. He's made the journey all the way back from the Mediterranean teaching Ernest Hemingway how to, oh, yeah. how to drink. Was that was that the story? I think you taught me a little bit. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll explain this story down right? the line. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> so we're in the north woods of Wisconsin. Uh, Steve is unable to join us. He's busy. Uh, he's slow cooking down in the Dallas, Texas heat. Uh, got a new job down there, so he's gone for 10 months. Yuck. Yeah. Yep. And so we're sitting down today with the strongest man north of Highway 8, Wisconsin. <laughs> I am Kiko not. Murphy. <laughs> Whatever. Thanks, Kiko, for yeah. sitting down with us. Appreciate it. Certainly. Certainly. Uh, just want to introduce yourself to folks listening. Um, well, I'm, my name is Kiko Murphy. I'm a, let's see, a Spooner High School graduate, born and raised in Hawaii. Um, joined the service, did a little over five years in the military, and then came back and uh, raised my family here and of course now my kids are gone and I uh, was an HVAC guy by trade picked that up in the military and now I'm using that skill I picked up there uh, as a facility operations director for Washburn County yeah, I was gonna say Kiko's not necessarily a common name you find up here in Wisconsin you talking about right right <laughs> yeah group of six of them right so so the, the quick is that Francis is my real name, my first name, uh, named after my grandfather, uh, who was also a vet. I can show you. I mean, I probably never even shared that with you. But um, anyway, uh, Francis in Hawaiian is Palakiko. So it's like Frank in Hawaiian. Oh, sure. Fair enough. You know, it's at least what I was told as a kid, and I've never looked it up, so that's the story. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't question it. Yeah, that's right. It's, it remains true. And my mom told it to me, so you know, why do I want to question right. that? Yeah. Why do I want to I'm not sure. I, I, I'm <laughs> sitting next to you, but I don't want to your mom at all. <laughs> so, what, I mean, what was it like growing up in Hawaii, and why did you move to from sunny and blue skies to cold air? Yeah, they're fine. So, um, when I was 10, give or take, in, the, in uh, February of 1980, give or take, uh, some friends of ours moved from Hawaii to Spooner because she was originally from Chicago. Friends of my parents, I should say. Uh, she was really f- originally from Chicago. Uh, they had come up here to visit. They fell in love with the place and moved up here. Uh, shortly after that, my parents, uh, they were, you know, of course, friends. We wanted to visit. They were going to leave their car in Hawaii to sell. Didn't sell. They shipped it to California. We did a road trip visiting them in February in northern Wisconsin in 1980. Great time. Right. And <laughs> my parents were also kind of influenced by the 60s and reading, uh, you know, Mother Earth News mm-hmm. and that stuff. So they, they came up here to visit and in February fell in love with it. And we went back to Hawaii and up there, there among their, their conversations, they decided it was time, you know, time to get out. My dad had been uh, in Hawaii since... 1945, 
you know, so he, he was in Hawaii well before it was a state. Uh, and so he was a local Howley. Mm-hmm. Um, and thus, my brother and I were, we were, you know, again, born there, uh, Kapiolani Hospital, and uh, moved here in 82. My brother was a junior. I was in seventh grade. And, you know, to be honest, I mean, for just for my life, my brother's uh, life, at least, I won't speak for my brother. I know he's happy here, but it was probably the best single thing they did for me. Uh, growing up in Hawaii as a Howley, usually preceded by effing, effing Howley. You know, it, it's a... Uh, I know that one. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you spent time in Hawaii? You know, uh, I mean, my family immigrated from Ireland, but uh, a couple generations back married into Hawaiians. Yes. So we have half Irish and then half Hawaiian. Nice. Uh, and it's terrifying. Yeah, I bet it is. <laughs> <laughs> big people. Yes, I, I would assume so. <laughs> and before we get to you, do you want to open up the cooler? We have to. I'm thirsty. I, I, was, I was wondering. I was like, been talking for five minutes already. We, I, I'm getting parts. The air conditioning's on. The air is dry. I say the air conditioning's on. I'm just it's so uncomfortable. Here. <laughs> uh, what am I pulling here? Oh, uh, whatever. Cold. I don't know what's in here. Beer. Perfect. Let's go bring things out. So, what so, was it like growing up for you in Hawaii? Um, you know, to be honest, as a local Howley, you you spoke pidgin. Um, which no doubt you've heard, mm-hmm. uh, and I heard just uh, fairly recently. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, fairly recently, within the last few years, I don't know if you know this, but pidgin was recognized as an official language. That's wonderful. So, if you speak pidgin, you're actually—I I realized in my late 40s that I became bilingual. Oh, good. Um, you know, <laughs> right? I mean, just one of those interesting, <laughs> right? And uh, so being, you know, if you can speak pigeon, you're good. You're good um, as a Howley. Better, better. You're, excuse me, you're better as a Howley because um, you, you show up and it's pretty tough. And on the other side of it, it's great. Uh, you know, it's summertime all year long. Let them out. <laughs> I'm going to make more of it. Sorry, the dog's in the background. Anyway, um, we lived in a, in a little suburb on top of a hill. You know, housing development on a hill. We were some of the first development. My parents bought that house in 1970 and paid, I think they paid 25000 for it. And in 1982, with some additions and just the exploding value of the property, I want to say it was like 170000 They sold it for like 12 years later. Not a bad ROI. <laughs> right, right. And so that's, and then that brought us up here because they, they sold the property and moved up here thinking my dad was 39 years old and he's going to retire because interest rates were super high uh, at that time, like, I don't know, 12%. And you could, you know, so he had his $50,000 or so and he was going to be, uh, I'm going to, there we go. We're sponsored by that sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we're in the same room and you don't hear it, run. Right. <laughs> so anyway, they, they were going to live off that. They had no debt. They came up here, bought 10 acres of land, a house and a garage for 18000 Jeez. And had this money in the bank, and it's at 12% interest. I mean, it's generating a nice chunk of change every year. Within a couple of years, Grand Rugman, I think it was, in the early 80s, reworked it. And... Uh, all of a sudden, they're like getting nothing, and so uh, anyway, that was that was what brought us up here. And uh, and like I said, I remember one of my one of my favorite stories is after moving up here, um, 
sitting in math class one day because back back up how was it in Hawaii you go to middle school at your local elementary school mm-hmm. everybody knows you it's cool we went to then a larger Elima uh, middle school where you bring all the different elementary schools together so now you're just now you're just a holy kid again instead of part of the neighborhood right, right. I was up in Makakilo um, at the Makakilo Elementary everybody knows you grew up with them no problem you go to this newer larger Elima where it's all these other schools coming together. Only some people know you. And so it, ooh, your, your eyes get opened real right. quick. Back to the bottom of the food chain. Back to the bottom of the food chain as the effing Howley. <laughs> Instead of just the, the local Howley. Anyway, uh, so one day I was, that's after school. I, you don't go to the bathroom in school. I mean, that's kind of how bad it was as a Howley kid. I'm, I'm sitting at the end of my, my school day. I got to go to the bathroom and I'm pinching. I go to, I'll just sneak in before I get on the bus, push the door open. I mean, this is seventh grade, middle school. The bathroom smells like urine and weed. <laughs> and there's a bunch of kids in there. And, and weed? Weed. What? Yeah. What is that in Hawaii? <laughs> oh, yes, it is Hawaii in the 70s. <laughs> but, 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 it wasn't, but it wasn't like friendly. It was, what the hell are you doing here? Oh, yeah. And if you keep going to use the bathroom, it won't be a good scene. So you continue to pinch and you back out. And that was a brutal ride home. Fast forward, I don't know, six months. I'm sitting in class up here in, I think it was Mr. Gronsky's class. Uh, and of course, it's a new school. Every, you know, most people are Howleys, so they're not Howleys anymore. You're just mm-hmm. like, whatever. And uh, again, comes the bathroom thing. I'm in the middle of school. I think, well, oh, it'll be safe if I go to school, if I go to the bathroom in the middle of the day. So I, uh, you know, raised my hand, asked, hey, can I go to the bathroom? It's right across the hall. Figure it's safe. He's like, yeah, go ahead. And I'm like, what? no big deal. I shoot across the hall. The hall's empty. Everything's well lit. Lean back. Push my hand on the, the lights are on. <laughs> smells like urinal cookie, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and go in and, I, it's like I said, it's an odd. I remember that particular bathroom break that but it was it was like really a really a stark difference um from where i was to where i came to i was listening to a podcast with laird hamilton i want to say yeah. laird superfoods yep. you know he's surfer guy in, yeah yeah, yeah. he's lived in hawaii 30 some years and he goes i'm still not considered a hawaiian mm. because i wasn't born there mm-hmm. it helped me that i was born there <laughs> you know born kapiolani you know, grew up in Makakilo, which which isn't Waianae, by the way. I mean, Makakilo is a on the on the edge. It's you know, it's like a, a kind of working class neighborhood. You know, Waianae is a little tougher, a little tougher. <laughs> <laughs> so, ten years old when you move up here. So, what what grade is that? Well, I was twelve. We came well, up to visit okay. when I was ten. My parents went back, sold the house, and then we moved up here when I was twelve. So, seventh grade. Seventh grade. Seventh grade. Yep. What were you like as a student? I mean, did you play sports back then? I know in Hawaii, no, no. As a Howley kid, that was even tougher. You know, came up here. I, they asked you, "Hey, you want to you want to wrestle? You want to like? I don't know. What you know? What is that? It's a whole different culture." One of the things I, I learned too. I'll come back to that question, but my my parents really were cultural immigrants. The uh, moving from Hawaii, tropical. You know, islands, you move up, you know, almost like suburb. 
Hey. Sorry. Yeah, Gordon, and, pay attention. <laughs> right. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and uh, so and then you move up here. I mean, I didn't even know why you had a week off for uh, Thanksgiving. You know, I'm like, I suppose, well, yeah. I mean, like, that's not a thing. No, not a thing. And I would have a whole week off. And so the kids are looking at me like, hey, dummy, deer hunting. <laughs> and I'm like, deer hunting? What? It's Wisconsin national sport. Right, right. You know, and, and so we, we had a lot to learn. Um, so anyway, I, I got into wrestling, got into track, and then, you know, started playing football. And I, I, had, I was able to have some, kind of that all-American high school experience. You know, uh, the good, the bad. I mean, it wasn't, you know, you had, had other normal issues like everybody does. Middle school's tough anywhere you go. You know, um, it's just kind of the age and the, the kind of what's going on in our heads when we're at that age. Um, so, anyway, then come up here and went to high school and all of that. Graduated in 1988. It was, you know, played football and I... Get to the prom king, I, which was kind of a big thing back then. Now it's like, oh, I was right. say, that was a nice humble brag. That was oh. really good. Yeah, sorry. No, yeah, it's a big thing for some people. I graduated '07. Okay, and everybody, great. I was, I was the biggest, uh, say nerd there was. Sure. Yeah, I was in marching band and band That's... for my entire school career and growing up with parents that taught music didn't really have a choice going in but you know like the band kids were below the chess club as far as popularity ouch. in high school ouch no I <laughs> yeah. went to very different places yeah yeah. <laughs> we didn't have a chess club but I mean that's just enough <laughs> it was interesting because I, I didn't I wasn't in band but I hung out with those guys mm-hmm. I mean that's you know I, I, I you know I, I didn't quite fit you know the the, the jock model I guess right. you know I, for what that's worth I well, at one point, did you start to think that you wanted to go into the military, and what made you want to go that route rather than going to college, get your four-year degree? Uh, well, my, my original intention was to go to college. I was going to be a teacher. I was thinking, you know, biology, psychology teacher, something like I wanted to teach at the high school level. Um, and my parents, their choice to move here was also because they wanted to be, they were voluntary poor. You know, my dad was working, doing the, the American dream thing, working, had a house, and uh, they moved up here and just became voluntary poor. You know, they kind of live off the land a little bit. Well, so it comes time for me to graduate and I think I'm gonna go to college. I didn't never even looked into the fact that my parents are so broke that I could have gotten tons of scholarshipy things and all that. Well, I can't afford to go to school. I, I, I had a, co- a scholarship offer to go to Carroll College to play football. I uh, like, oh, it's a half ride. Well, at that time, it, it seems funny now, but a full ride, or excuse me, the full cost was about 12000 a year <laughs> at a private school down in Milwaukee. And I had a half ride offer, and I, oh, I can't afford that. Didn't really have any guidance. Oh, God. Um, right? <laughs> right? And uh, so my my brother, my older brother, had joined the military. And he, about a year after high school, he was, you know, working restaurants and kind of partying too much and having a lot of fun. And he joined the military and became a truck driver in the military and did two, you know, did two years, went to Germany and then came back and went to college. He's four years older. So before I even, I was a junior in high school when he had already come back. And well, that was, no, I, I saw that. 
and he's going to college in Eau Claire. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. You know, so it wasn't and it wasn't some kind of wild, patriotically driven thing. I just wanted, okay, I'll do what my brother did. And I wanted, I told him, went to went and talked to the recruiter, and I said, I want two years, and I want college money, and that's what, that's what, uh, that's what uh, I ended up doing. I told him I want two years college money. Well, my options were tanker, tanker or infantry, and uh, at that time, well, uh, hmm, I guess I'll go infantry, <laughs> you know. And I also I told him I didn't want to go overseas. You know, okay, well, that's what you do. Well, I go to basic uh, at Fort Benning, Georgia, and in the old, we had the new, the new, the new place out there is Sand Hill, and it's modern barracks, air conditioning, all this stuff. The old one, it was Harmony Church, and that was what you, you know, when you when you watch you watch Forrest Gump, <laughs> you see those old, old, you know, kind of those old barracks, long two stories, square or rectangular. That's Harmony Church. Sure. I mean, and there that's probably where most of them are, you know, those movies are shot. And I ended up one of the last classes there. <laughs> and uh, they it, it, one of the other what I didn't go into that but I didn't have wasn't in that building, but the one of the building or next building over in our company um, actually had a hole between the first floor and the second floor. They just thought, hey, just stay back. Just stay back from the hole. It's, it's like a big rotten hole between the floor. But we're just gonna, you know, have troops here anyway. Right. <laughs> Um, so anyway, that's why I ended up uh, doing what my brother did. I wanted to go, and it turns out I ended up getting assigned overseas. What know? what branch is Army? I was Army. Army. Yep. Okay. Yep. I was thinking Marines for some reason. I know yep. we talked. About yeah, they have Marine infantry and then Army infantry, and I'll just leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know these these days no point in getting hung up on all that. But there's a friendly rivalry. Oh yeah. And, no, and I get together with my friends that are all in different branches. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the proverbial, for lack of better words, stick measuring contest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll just be quiet. It's like, I, I work in corporate America. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I guess, especially these days, I mean, when we all served and, you know, you're all doing the same thing. And, and it's really only sort of, well, I'll, I'll use this term more often later, but, you know, luck and happenstance. It was the army recruiter that got in my ear, and it was my brother, the same, you know, probably the same recruiter got in my brother's ear. So that's okay, I'll, I'll do that, you know, <laughs> sounds good. Uh, what when you were talking to the recruiter, did you have them come home and talk to your parents at all? I know some people have done, yep, that. yep. I, I, um, so I, to be honest, how it even started was I'm in class, probably I'm guessing it's your junior year. And the recruiter comes and they do the announcement. Anybody interested in taking the ASVAB? You know, I think, and you know, go ahead and go down to the cafeteria. That'd be cool. I get out of class. Hey, so I get out of class. I go take the test, and turns out, you know, I did okay. I did well. Did well on the test, and uh, then you know, with the again, I think at that time the high number was like one thirty-five. I don't know what's why it was kind of a weird number. I ended like at 126. And at 110, you can do anything you want to do. So that gets the attention of the recruiters. They start targeting. And, you know, most of those guys have better plans. And I'm going to college. And uh, 
So anyway, we I, the recruiter started calling and I started answering and he came to visit at my parents, especially after he found out my brother did it and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and I, I, okay, so I did the def- uh, delayed entry program, you know, and signed up on a high, probably early in 88, sometime in February or March, and then left September 13th, 1988. How'd your, how'd your family react? You know, already having a brother in the military? Was there- yeah, and he had come home and everything was fine, and... And this is peacetime at that Yeah, peacetime, yeah, we're, we're talking uh, late 80s. Um, you know, post-Vietnam, you know, pre-9-11, clearly. And, uh, yeah, my dad was, mom and dad were just kind of like, cool. <laughs> As, again, I, I, I sort of alluded to it earlier about my parents being influenced by the 60s. Um, it's part of why they moved up here mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. And uh, my dad was um, not, not a peacenik, more like a biker poet. Uh, not not a guy you wanted to cross, but but also pretty smart and, mm-hmm. and wrote wrote and wrote poems and other writings. But he was my parents were a bit surprised that both of their sons, you know, from from being the the living in the woods, you know, doing the hippie life thing, to both of their sons joining the military, they were surprised, you know, but. But they, also supportive. They supported yeah. it. Yeah, they yeah. They talk yeah. you out of anything. <laughs> uh, probably later, I'll, there, there was one time my dad tried to talk <laughs> me out of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, uh, basic training, I got, I got orders. I, I became, uh, if you're in the infantry, uh, some people get selected. That's an 11 Bravo, 11 Bravo series. Which is this infantry? Infantry, right? yeah. Uh, infantry is the 11 series, right? And uh, I probably I will miss a few, but you know, like eleven Bravo is your straight up infantry. Uh, that's your you know like fo- foot soldier kind of thing. Uh, eleven Charlie, and this is I, I'd have to. I'd have to. Uh, this is <laughs> should have put them outside. Um, anyway, the eleven Bravo, eleven Charlie, eleven Charlie is mortar crew members, um, and then. 11, like 11 hotel at that time, you know, if you think about the technology, it was a tow, which is an anti-tank weapon and a a sighted rocket that is, has a cord on it. So it's, you know, shooting out and you you keep guiding it. The guy, the, the operator keeps his eye on the target and the rocket keeps adjusting as it pulls a, a core, a cable, communication cable via I mean, a cord. I can't even imagine, you know, that nowadays. But, again, technology was a different thing. You couldn't jam it. You couldn't do anything with it other than, you know, so. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure I'm missing other, you know, 11 series uh, MOSs, but I ended up at 11 Charlie. And I, when I went to Berlin, that was my first duty station. I was uh, put into an, a, a four-deuce unit, which is heavy mortar. Mm-hmm. So you got, you know, the 60s, the 80, 80, 60 millimeter, 80 millimeter, and then the 4.2 inch mortar. So it's like this, almost a small artillery, you know. Were you, uh, so leaving, you know, you already moved from Hawaii to Wisconsin, but we're on your way down to boot camp. I mean, what was going through your mind? Were you nervous at all? Well, experience? yeah, I, a couple, I mean, I, I had a serious girlfriend. You know, and she was a year behind me in high school, 
And so I'm, you know, trying to make my forge a future for myself while uh, worried about a relationship, you know. Um, and so I'm, it was a little tough that way. And that was part of why I didn't want to go overseas because, uh, you know, you just, again, you, you're 18. Um, your whole world is about... Your whole world is, yeah, it's about the size of a silver dollar. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, maybe maybe an 8-inch pan pizza if you're lucky. <laughs> um, no, and I, I remember the flight down, just, you know, kind of wide-eyed and, holy crap, what's happening? This is, uh, you know... Am I, am I sure that I really wanted to do this? Too late. <laughs> well, we're here now. <laughs> yeah, here, and here we are. So, yeah, then, so on that, on that same note, you know, you, you get off the plane, they throw you on a charter bus, take you, they're all still being friendly, you've still got all your hair and your civilian clothes and your wide eyes, and everybody else around you is wide-eyed and what the hell. And they take you down to your processing station and they start... You know, start the process and start conditioning you for military service. You know, the yelling starts some and, you know, pretty soon they're shaving your head and mocking you. And I had learned from my, I had a, I had a few tips from my brother. And uh, one of them was don't go down there with a special haircut. You know, I, when I was in high school, I had a long tail and a mohawk my senior year. So, you know, gelled, spiked, couple inches, long tail down my back. That was all gone by the time I went to basic because you, you don't want to do that. And I watched a few guys get sort of, you know, ridiculed as they shave half their head, go sit on the side. And, and then they get, you know, teased the whole time. I mean, this is again, the late eighties, you know, it's sort of, um, so anyway, did all that. Uh, after, after you got processed in, you had to get to get out of the processing station. You had to be able to do like 13 push-ups and so many sit-ups and just a few very basic things. And there were people that were being processed, reprocessed, because they couldn't do the 13 push-ups. You know, they were, they were going into the infantry and, uh, you know, he's like on his third cycle. He's stuck at the processing station because he can't do the 13 you know, mili- you know, and they're clean push-ups. You right. Know, yeah. Not the, the head sinkers. <laughs> um, he ended up in our class, and we, he did well. Um, but I, but I really, I really had the, what the hell have I done? <laughs> you so you get out of the processing station. You know, they've issued you all your gear. You got that big green bag, olive drab, and you've got all your, your BDUs and you know all that stuff. Um, with your, your ammo packs and you know, empty, of course, but, and they shove you into these cattle cars. They were going to call them cattle cars and they shove you in there and you're, and you've got no windows. You've got, you know, just enough ventilation to make sure you don't pass out <laughs> and you're, you you can not fall over cause you're just jammed in there and they're driving you through Fort Benning to, uh, Harmony church. Uh, and, classic again just like the movie they open the doors and i'm sure the drill sergeants are having a all right guys you know here we go you know they're all kind of gearing up and warming up there i mean again i'm looking at it from with this perspective as a 50 year old but at the time you know i'm thinking i volunteer for this shit what am i what am i doing what have i done and the and the doors of the cattle car fly open and they start just hammering 
go, oh, let's go, soldier, get out, maggot. You know, just the, again, the classic. And there were guys falling all over themselves <laughs> and tripping over their bags. And I mean, it, it was just, again, like a scene from a, a movie. And uh, that was really when I went, oh my God, what have I done? What, what was I, why was this a good idea? <laughs> and uh, now, and again, in, in hindsight, and somebody else told me this uh, years, a few years later, you know, after I'd got out of the service and you're talking to other vets and stuff. And it's like, I, I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me a million bucks to do it again. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't take a penny to take away the memory. <laughs> you know. I mean, it's it's just one of those things. You you went through it. You survived. Sort of made you better. You know to to use to use the marine thing. You know, you're for you're forging your steel. You know, I remember the ads on the you know about their swords being forged. And right. You're thrown into the forge, and you're too young to understand what what's happening, other than wow, this really sucks. I've, I've had other guests on the show describe it like there's this hump in boot camp mm-hmm. where you just reach that point where it just becomes easier, if mm-hmm. you will, relax. I would agree. I would agree. And and I think they lighten up a bit. Mm-hmm. But when, you know, those first about a couple weeks, it's brutal. How long is boot camp for the early? How was it? How long? Uh, I want to say I was, I want, I, I, because I was in the infantry, you have the regular. It was eight weeks boot camp. It was eight weeks at that time. And I, again, I haven't looked recently, but it's eight weeks of uh, boot camp. But then, because I was in the infantry, it's essentially another five weeks of extended boot camp. <laughs> we didn't move. We stayed in those same barracks, and we you just did more training. You know, you're working working on the, you know the range, and you're doing marches, and you're you know uh, the pugil stick fighting. Um, Throwing grenades. The occupational school? Yes, AIT. Okay. Yeah. You know, advanced individual training. Um, the I, I uh, To kind of skip ahead a bit, I reclassed after several years in the infantry and uh, ended up coming back as a 52 Charlie. So I'm an E4 going back to AIT. And so I'm with these guys that are right out of basic once again. And uh, they, they went to basic... And then went somewhere else for AIT. You know, my so my basic training essentially was a thirteen week stint of tough, tough. Yeah, because my little sister just went through last year too. I think last year she did just got through basic with the Marine Corps. Oh wow, and nice. I thought it was three months, something like close to that. And of course, you know, they nowadays they take your cell phone away so you can't get on. Facebook. Right, right. Get distracted. But we could still write her letters for her and send care packages and stuff like that. Did your family or friends do anything like that for you? You know, to be honest, I'm sure they did. Um, I I probably got at least... Oh, oh, no. Let me back up. I did get a package, several packages from my girlfriend. Uh, I don't recall my folks sending me packages. That just kind of wasn't their thing. But, yeah, those letters and stuff, I got lots of letters from my girlfriend and it was, uh, they were very meaningful at that time. Cause I mean, you know, again, you're 18, you're, you're shoved into, you know, Dante's Inferno. <laughs> um, and we, 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 we did have a few guys, I mean, to not want to be light about it. Cause actually some guys, uh, got section eight, I think it was section eight, they called it out of basic where they snapped. 
we had at least two guys <laughs> that they, they they psychologically could not take it. And, you know, you kind of, there was, I won't go their name, but there's two guys uh, from different places in the country and they actually, like, you watch them psychologically unravel. The pressure was too much. Now, I think that... That's the point. Yeah. You know, that's the point of basic training and testing your metal, forging you, making you stronger. Um, there was plenty of times I'm just like, oof, you know, I don't know how much more I can take of this physically. Psychologically, I, I did okay. Um, but the physical side was pushing me. And, you know, I, I probably lost 15, 20 pounds. You know, that's, that's a pretty common story because, <laughs> you, 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 well, you, you, you go in a a chubby young man, a teenager, and uh, you come out, well, a soldier, you know, and you're sharp, dressed uniform. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and like I said, those those two guys, it was different, different stories, but it was, you know, looking back on it even, it's pretty sad. You know, I, I, I hope they're doing well. I hope they recovered. I hope it wasn't too much. Because um, on one side, I mean, as, as a as I've aged, I've come to appreciate the experience more. Um, I think I've mentioned this to you in other other conversations, but I was you know post Vietnam, pre nine eleven, and. Those years, um, to, to use Mr. Clinton's term, about about their you know people this has nothing to do with your sexual orientation status, but don't ask, don't tell was that term that he used about that. Well, it was kind of like, kind of like in my experience anyway, kind of like that for veterans. Nobody asks if you're a vet, mm-hmm. and nobody cares if you tell them. Now, again, pre nine eleven, and. You know, our uh, post-Vietnam guys, man, they got they got hosed. Yeah, they got treated very poorly. And I know we talked about that on other other episodes about that. Yeah. You know, this the I had some guys that were in twenty years. Uh, Corey, Josh, and Penny on episode two and three. If you tune into No Stray Left Behind, they they talked about that. You know, that the guys they trained under were Vietnam vets, and the short stick that they were handed compared to when they came home. Yeah. You know, yeah. they had a giant parade when they came back from Iraq. They flew back into, I want to say Texas. And there's yeah. a huge parade in the whole town. You know, they're yep. sitting down bar guy comes over, throws down hundred bucks and Hey, it's on me tonight. I mean, yeah. I, I saw that, uh, you know, I was in during desert storm, uh, the initial, when, you know, when we, when we started up our, our activities in the, in the middle East and, uh, and I, I, I didn't end up, you know, just luck and happenstance. There's that term I was talking about. I'll bring it back. You know, I was in, but just luck and happenstance. I didn't have to go. And I also remember after I got out, seeing the, the people who had the signs out in their yard, we support our troops. And, you know, again, I know that our, our Vietnam guys did not have that. And just, but that alone, just a parade, really nice. Mm-hmm. But even just your neighbor saying, hey, thank you. Huge. Huge. Um, so yeah, I was in that that era of the post Vietnam pre nine eleven. I mean, it, I, I appreciate the the sentiment though. You know that people have now because um, I it, it's a, it's been a bit of a journey for me transitioning from that. I you know it, it took some talking to get me to agree to do this. 
Well, we've known each other. Oh, I moved up here in November of 18. I think we met early 2019. Sounds right. And I think I've been twisting the screws a little yeah, bit. Yeah, here and yeah, yeah. You're asking then. me and, and nudging and... <laughs> You know, and then I have uh, uh, another friend uh, that I work with. Uh, she is a uh, National Guard vet and, you know, has her own story to tell. But, you know, she had been under fire and returned fire. And I, you know, in my conversation with her, shared that I didn't feel like a real vet, you know, because I, I didn't do combat. I didn't, I mean, I was in the infantry. Um, but I just it didn't happen for me, and that's and I, to be honest, I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm, I, there's parts of me that are just glad that it didn't happen. I, I know plenty of guys that did. It changes you. It changes you. And I I wonder, you know. So like I said, I gr- I graduated '07. I was in seventh grade Spanish class when 9/11 happened, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing a lot of my friends and the guys in school. You could almost see a ticker over their head of when they're graduating when they can join mm-hmm. and it's like everybody wanted to go mm-hmm. and go overseas and get in combat yeah yeah absolutely yes. absolutely I, I know you know prior to that well i mean you know we were a country at peace we had never it, it was last time we were attacked december 7th 1941 you know that would that would drive people to hey you know i, I want in this fight um I did it for the college money. We were peacetime. I, you know, uh, uh, 9-11 was another, you know, another event, Mm -hmm. a key event. Um, I probably would have been that guy, too. Uh, For me, at that time, I was already in my 30s, thought about re-enlisting, just because you're there. You know, I mean, I have got all my training. I'm ready. I also had... Kids that were, you know, say it was a 9-11. So, you know, I had a daughter that was 10, a son that was 8. And 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 at that time, I was a single dad. I'm like, okay, I I can't do that, you know. Um, But I thought about it. It Just because of that, just like you said, Mm -hmm. that thing, you're like, ooh, hey, we got to go. So I didn't didn't re-enlist at that time, so. (laughs) But roll things back a little bit. Yeah, please. It seems like. Everyone I've ever talked to on the podcast and out this conversation's out about, it seems like everybody has one, if not two, drill instructors that they remember, you know, whether it was because they kind of mentored them in mm-hmm. or they scared the absolute Jesus out of them. I mean, did you have anybody like that that you can drill? Call? Drill Sergeant Harad. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, uh, I, I remember his name, um, Drill Sergeant Harad, uh, E6. And he was he because he was my platoon guy, um, and I, I wish I could remember the other guy's name offhand. But uh, uh, you know, African American gentleman, and tough as nails, and frankly cool as shit. Uh, they scared the hell out of you in the beginning, and did their job, and then. As as boot camp goes on, you talk about that hump. I, there's there's got to be something in it that they you know ramp you up, beat you up, break you down, and then start building you back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know I just, I remember a few just very human, pleasant conversations 
you know, in Drill Sergeant Rod's office. Just, you know, Murphy, get in here, goddammit. You know, and you, oh, yes, Drill Sergeant. You know, and you, you know, pucker and run. And, uh... I've had different situations, but yeah. Yeah, right, right, exactly. I mean, we all, we all have that in different areas, and you're... And then he, you know, just, hey, why don't you go do this, take care of this, or I got something for you here, you know. Um, and that, but that's later in boot camp. Uh, we had another, we had another uh, uh, drill instructor, one of the other companies had him. He was all of about five foot three. <laughs> and I am, in hindsight, he was probably a professional bodybuilder. And, you know, as we're all a bunch of young punks, and you're 18, 19 years old, you know, may, maybe you're, if you're really good, you'll knock out, you know, I, I was not a good runner. I was pretty good at my push-ups and sit-ups. I could max my PT test on the push-ups my whole time in, you know, and I would do, like, I think at the time the max was like 92 push-ups in two minutes. So, I, you know, I'd finish that out and, you know, get a, get a few extra just for cuz and stop. That drill sergeant... I don't. I don't think I ever saw him stop. I mean, you know, he would like knock, knock out 150, and everybody's like, "Okay." And he's, of course, from the from the eyes of an 18 year old, I mean, he's probably all of 27. Mm-hmm. But from the eyes of an 18 year old, he's an old guy, right? You know, and uh, he he was funny, and I, I wish I could remember his name. And then the other, uh, a taller drill sergeant, but all of them, very uh, again. I can't remember. I was reading a book about the Southeast uh, uh, Asian Pacific theater of World War II, and you know you're looking at the pictures and stuff. But they had the guys that had been over there for a few months already, and mm-hmm. they brought in the new the reinforcements who were just yep. right out of camp. And you look at the kids right out of camp, <clears throat> haven't seen combat yet. They have you know they're all baby faced. They look like they're ten, mm-hmm. and then you look at the guys who are you know 22, 23, maybe twenty four, and they look like they're already well into their forties. Yeah. And so I, I can see where you're saying, yes, he's only maybe 27, 28. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, right now we could, you know, we could be friends. I mean, I, you know, if I, I'd probably recognize him if I saw him on the street because some of those, their, you know, their facial images were burned in because, <laughs> you know, they're three inches from your nose, two inches from your nose yelling. Yeah, you got him. You picked him up. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's a, well... Part of that is in that maturation process. You know, you're going from the bumpkin from out in the woods of wherever to, okay, you know, you're being turned into a young man. And it is a challenging process when it's given to you that quickly. I guess it's, I never really thought of it that way. You know, you're kind of forced (laughs) to grow up be responsible and be responsible to your fellow soldier. Um, this one, one young man, you know, apparently couldn't, couldn't go without a cigarette because you're not allowed to smoke. At least back then you weren't, you know, of course, no cell phones in that day either. Um, we didn't even have them. And what, what is that? <laughs> so, um, he, he got caught smoking. He, you know, found somehow got a hold of a cigarette, got caught smoking. He was in my platoon we paid for it, you know, being, being responsible to and for your brothers. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like a whole week of you got, you'd sleep for an hour. You'd be on duty for on guard duty for an hour, sleep for an hour on it. You want to get ornery. And then you're, you're expected to go and keep up all day. Right. Um, yeah. He, he, 
he didn't it didn't go overly well for him you know by night number three I mean people are starting to be like (laughs) (laughs) freaking out you know yeah so after training you said about 13 weeks Yep. Yep. Where'd you Where'd you go after that? I mean, did you have to wait? You said you went overseas. Did they make you wait before they shipped you out? Anywhere? No, I I, I I went in as I said uh, September thirteenth, nineteen eighty eight, a day that personally will live for in infamy for me. <laughs> uh, and then my my thirteen weeks was up. It was somewhere around that Christmas time, you know, just before Christmas. So I went home for two weeks, um, and then I, I was given orders while I, just before I left uh, basic. I was going to Berlin. So I'm going to Germany. Uh, I remember the Cold War still on mm-hmm. at that time. Uh, Is that in 91? 1989. November 9th, I believe. November 9th, 1989. So I get, it's 1988, Christmas of 88. I get out of basic. I, I come home, you know, uh, got, got engaged. Because I was going overseas, and my in my mind it was, well, I either have to break up with her or get married. And, you know, so got married, or got engaged. Anyway, and uh, so after that, I had a, probably the worst travel, back then, you know, this is pre, pre lots of computers. Um, my flight, my first flight into Germany, I went from Minneapolis to St. Louis St. Louis to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh to JFK, JFK to Zurich, <laughs> Zurich to Stuttgart, Zurich to Stuttgart, Stuttgart, Berlin. I mean, by the time I hit the ground in Berlin, I'm like, I didn't even know where I was. You're just, bleh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so then I ended up uh, in, uh, in a combat support company, CSC, 4th of the 502nd. Um, so 4th, 5th, and 6th of the 502nd was Berlin, and they were, you know, kind of the front line. Um, as, as I recall, our combat life expectancy, if the poo really hit the fan, you know, was like 30 seconds. Well, you're in Berlin, the, the, you're so, as, you know, anybody that knows their history, Berlin is this island city <laughs> with three sectors. You know, you got the French, the British, and the American sectors, and it's what, 96 miles of wall around that, and you're surrounded by East Germany and, you know, the Soviet bloc, Um, which was, and so I'm there, I I arrive in country January of 89, Um, Mr. Gorbachev, I believe, was still president? Yes. Or, excuse me, uh, whatever, uh, Russian... Um, Yeah, that, uh, not prime minister. Uh, yeah. Chairman? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I, so Gorbachev is still in office. Um, Reagan is just finishing up, you know, and turning it over to uh, Bush one, mm-hmm. you know. And so this is post Reagan's speech, you know, everybody knows Gorbachev. Yeah, Gor- Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that, you know, so anyway, but I'm 18. I don't know. Any, I don't, you know, it's all some of what I've got going on is. Hindsight, right? So I arrive in country uh, January of 88, or excuse me, 89. Um, the wall is up, and you're, not, you're now new and don't know anybody all over again. You're not, I was 18 years old, and... Did they send you over there with any guys out of your platoon or nope. unit? 
Nope. 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 I, that was, you know, I didn't I didn't do the buddy program. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think we're... You feel, I was going to say, Marky, uh, you're the only person who ever gets to shake their drink at me. I'm just warning you now. <laughs> <laughs> He's known me a very long time. <laughs> That's not a good idea. Right. Um, yeah, so anyway, no, I, I showed up there alone, and I got I got to the company. It was, as I recall, it was kind of late. They put me in a room that probably could have housed, like, six guys. It's wide open. There's a bed in the corner and a little, like, wall dresser thing. And so it really fit exactly how I felt. This It's winter in Berlin, Northern Europe. I'm... You know, I'm cold and alone, and and you're arriving in country, and you know your head is swimming. You, you go again. You go from being, you know, a young kid in northern Wisconsin to, you know, being forged in basic training. Well, you're still kind of a young kid. You, you just, and uh, you don't know anybody. I don't really care. Sure, as long as it's not flowery. No. No, that's right. a solid. Well, speaking Germany, that's a good Hefeweizen. Yeah, right. Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, perfect. Because I had a lot of that. The, the Hefeweizen was my favorite. Uh, kind of tying into, you show up there, uh, you're 18 years old, and it's legal. 21 is here. Mm-hmm. You show up in Germany. It's 16 or 18. <laughs> I don't even know. You're legal. It's on. It's on. I spent the first, uh, ooh, a, little, a little embarrassing here, but <laughs> so, you know, I show up there and you start to get to know guys and everybody's kind of in the same boat. They're all, you know, they bring the new guy in. You're part of their unit. You're starting to forge relationships and uh, there we go. Um, you're legal. You're you're going down to, you know, in, uh, let's see. We go down to the Irish pub, which was, uh, oh shoot, I'm dropping it, but kind of in Berlin, there's like the Times Square of Berlin, kind of the heart of the city up in the, up in the British sector. Um, and I spent a lot of time in pubs and you'd, you'd get off of work, you're in the, you're, you get off work, you're in the shower. Because, you know, when you're in the active duty, non-combat time, it's kind of just a regular job, you know, you're, except you're training to do your thing mm-hmm. um, you you get up and do PT you shower eat breakfast and then you go to work and then five o'clock you're done well and you're young and live in the barracks and have a, a paycheck and you don't have to worry about rent or meals right I mean they're so what do you do go you drink you, you you start uh, you, you go to the gym Murphy's <laughs> yes and uh, Irish pubs in Germany that cracks me up still yeah yeah it was it was it's pretty still better than Irish pubs here mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so anyway uh, I spent a lot of time and I remember it was probably f- maybe four months in it was a Saturday morning or morning for me you know like two or three in the afternoon because they don't close either maybe they close at 6 a.m. for an hour to clean and that's just a bad thing you're 18 years old and this is all new to you <laughs> Oh my goodness! You just you get really carried well, away. Well, at eighteen, you do nothing but make the best decisions. Too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> obviously, there were there was a there was a time or two that I rolled in rolled back into the barracks, you know, forty five minutes before PT, <laughs> and that was pretty brutal. That was pretty brutal. I, I didn't do that too often because after you do it the first time or two, you're like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, at least I wasn't cut out for that. Other other guys were pretty good at it, did it all the time. Uh, I, I just couldn't quite, you know, keep that going. But so, what was your what was your primary job when you were over there? 
I, I was a 11 Charlie. Uh, and again, we were, I was in a combat support company. So you have, uh, you know, uh, companies of infantrymen, you know, all around us. We were CSC 4th of the 502nd. We had the 4th, 5th, and 6th of the 502nd, you know, so three brigades or uh, battalions. And we were the combat support company for fourth of the 502nd. I think they had four other uh, uh, company or yeah companies, and we supported the rest of them. We were uh, we had a platoon of snipers, a platoon of tow, uh, a platoon of mortars, um, and then oh man. Been thirty years or more, Oof. Uh, and then the other uh, scouts. There it is. So scouts, tow snipers, and mortars, and we were kind of the. You know, I I don't want to say that we were the, a little more. We had, we had different skill sets. There we go. We were a little more specialized than the infantry guys, and we supported them, mm-hmm. um, which uh, was really pretty. You know, just interesting. I, I wish, uh, in hindsight, I had an opportunity one time to go out with the scouts. Uh, again, remember this is you know Berlin, the pre-wall coming down. The scouts, that that platoon, they would go out on patrol, wall patrol. They did. They'd cover up their name, cover up their rank, and be, they'd be in a Humvee with a sixty mounted, live ammo, and they're that they're doing you know the real we were, uh, are we were an army of occupation, um, and I mean. They were a, they were then doing wall patrol, live, you know, with live ammo, and their mission was, if you come across somebody trying to trying to flee East Germany into West Germany, you will assist them in any way you can, and if you know if they're if they're receiving fire, you assist by returning fire for them. You know, I mean, covering fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're helping them out by, you know, returning fire. And uh, like I said, I had a few opportunities, and I went, "Wait, what time do you guys gotta go out?" Yeah, we go out. You know, they, I don't, I remember exactly what it was. It was like 4 a.m. Uh, go out drinking, or volunteer to go out to work at 4 a.m. At 18, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm going drinking. You know, <laughs> um, you know, like I say, in hindsight, I, that would have been pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Like I said, at 18, 18 the best yeah, decision. You just because you know everything. Because you know, oh yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> just just ask them; they'll tell you. <laughs> so this is obviously prior to you know Facebook, Instagram, kind of the web. Prior to anything but a landline, I think we had, right. we were we were so advanced that we had answering machines. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> but did, were you able to keep in touch with family and friends back here at home in Wisconsin? Letters. Um, so yeah, it was goes back to kind of that this the the, the old the classic of movies where there was you know payphones payphones around the McNair Cassern, the was the base I was on. And uh, there's payphones around, and you'd have to go wait in line. <laughs> you know, you'd sit, you know, give the guy, you know, whatever, 20 feet. He's on the phone. He's talking to his family. And you have a line of guys waiting to call home. And you just hope you get a hold of somebody again because you're either going to get their answering machine or not. And you had to call collect. 
you know. Uh, so I it didn't didn't have a lot of opportunity, you know, to talk to my folks or or even my girlfriend. I mean, you'd talk, you know, you'd probably catch up maybe twice a week if you're lucky, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that was then. So so that's part of also part of the challenge of you know again you're 18, 19 years old and you are really separated from your family and your friends and you know where I, I I would assume it's and I you know you know to be honest I don't know if it's actually easier now um, I just my son-in-law uh, went over uh, within the last few years had gone over to Afghanistan and we didn't talk too much about it but I think having FaceTime, having people right here in front of you might actually be harder because when you're on your mission, you're over there and you just can't get a hold of anybody, you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you miss them, but you're, you're not pulled back and forth. Uh, again, I, it's not something I experienced, but I would imagine, you know, being able to do the, you know, I love you conversation <laughs> whenever you want kind of thing or yeah. regularly in a little FaceTime might actually make it harder. I had another guest on, Dakota Meyer. Um, his unit, hit, it shit hit the ceiling fan. Yeah. And he said the only time, memorable time at least, that he called home was after that. He called his dad. He said, hey, you're going to see on the news some things happen, but just know I'm okay. I'm okay. And that's it. Yeah. And yeah, I can I can see I can see both sides of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, I, and that's why I said, I, I don't know if it's better or worse, but, you know, I, that was mine was you just... You got letters and maybe some care packages, and you talked occasionally, if you could. Did they ever give you time to come home on leave while you're in Berlin? Or yeah, I mean, you you have uh, at least again at that time you had uh, 30 days a, a year uh, of paid leave, um, but you're also uh, you know I, I when I find, when I finally left Berlin I was an E4 you know uh, specialist, and you had to pay for it. Well, again, it's not like I was at, you know, Fort Knox or Fort, you know, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and could drive in a car and come home. I have to, you know, jump flights and <laughs> come all the way home from Berlin. I did go home uh, one time in that two-year period. I, I came home to get married uh, in uh, in '89, and uh, yeah, I mean, I re- I remember being ooh, that's kind of painful you know just the cost yeah but but one of my memories of that is there was one day uh, just before I left just before I came home on that leave is I'm playing frisbees with my buddy uh, out on the Vonzi which is like Central Park you know a, a big park with a lake and you're you know and you're playing frisbee in the beach and the knee-deep water and drinking beer and 24 hours later I was back in the north woods of Wisconsin it was like wow, just kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, especially as a, as a young man, you know, having that for the first time, you're like, oof, hard to imagine. Twenty four hours from now, I'll be home. Right. But did, did you feel like there's a disconnect uh, with the locals here? Because I know a lot of people do travel, but there are some that probably haven't gone farther than a two and a half hour drive from here. I mean, did you did you feel that? When you came home, you know, now being Having, early 20s yep. and you've experienced a hundred times more than what a lot of people will see in their entire lifetime. Yeah. Um, you know, to be honest, no, but I could see what you, I see where you're headed with that. Mm-hmm. I, 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 maybe I would have, 
But I also, going back to the beginning of the story, I grew up in Hawaii. Um, also, my dad worked for Pan American Airways. So living in Hawaii, my dad worked for the airlines. I had family in New York and Mississippi. My you know grandparents in New York and then grandparents in Mississippi. So we did a fair amount of traveling, even as a kid, prior to the military, um, which I have the travel bug. You know, I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's just I had it or I grew up doing so much of it that so I, I didn't really notice that if there if there was a difference, I didn't notice it because I was already well. I grew up somewhere. I grew up in Hawaii and then moved to the Northwoods. Right. You know, there's already a you know it was a bit of a disconnect, I guess, of some kind. I, and with the name, it kind of you stand out anyway. So you know, having been to the military, and again, it's only in hindsight that I can sort of appreciate. Again, don't ask, don't tell. Service. You know, you're in the service. Nobody really cares if you're a vet, and so you know, you come home. Hey, where you been? Oh, military. Cool. Well, last week there was this party, you know, and you're like, okay, yeah. I mean, no, nobody, nobody asked, nobody cared. Even if, if, even if it came up, there was no like, whoa, hey, dude, you know, what were you doing? What was your, what was your job? I mean, there was none of that. Mm. Just oh, weird, and then you move on, <laughs> you know. So it's just how it was. I know now, especially now, uh, USO tours are huge, especially with comedians and mm-hmm. actors, even and and uh, <laughs> bands, especially. We'll go over there and play for the troops. I mean, did yeah. they, were they doing that in Germany at that time? Yeah. Yeah. Did they have in, a chance to go see anybody? In fact. In fact. Yes. Thank you for... I kind of forgot about that. Thank you. Um, so, I was at the... In Berlin, uh, in one section, you know, you have the McNair Kasern. And then you have... Temp, we had the Air Force Base up there was Tempelhof. Um, and so, that was, you know, was the Air Force Base up there... Bob Hope. Okay. I actually, I got, I got to, yep. I got to see, I got to see one of, like, I think it was his last tour. Mm -hmm. That sounds about that area. Yeah. So it it was, and this is probably, you know, I left uh, Berlin in 1990. Uh, I left actually, it was October 2nd of 1990, the day of reunification. I left that morning. I missed the party. I mean, you think of this is like big party in Berlin. Oh, yeah. Just again, a bad luck and happenstance. I happened to take off. Anyway, so somewhere in that time, it was Bob Hope at Tempelhof. So I mean, it it was it was uh, like you know Hitler's Air Force Base during you know, historically, mm-hmm. and so I see Bob Hope at, at a USO show in Berlin. God, I've been. It was I, you know, I was kind of. You don't have that tattooed on you. I, right, right. I probably should. <laughs> you know, you know, Bob Hope. When I find out the date, I'd have to go back and look at the date. Um, but I remember I was kind of stage, stage left. I mean, to, well, I guess his stage right. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, was he still carrying the golf club at that time? Oof, I don't recall that. I don't recall that. I, I've only seen videos but of all his USO tours in Vietnam. He always had that his driver. The driver, sure. Around. That's funny. Yeah, I, you know, he had, he had done that a long time. And and it was one of those, uh, a lot of guys I knew, you know, like, ah, I don't see that. I'm like, my, as, again, I mentioned my grandfather was in the service. I got uncles that are, you know, retired colonels, lieutenant colonels and stuff. So I kind of had an idea of the importance of Bob Hope. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, 
Yeah, I'm not missing this one. <laughs> I'm not missing this one. Uh, and then, not that it was a USO thing, but uh, Roger Waters, Pink Floyd. Yep. Um, after the wall came down, he did a concert in No Man's Land. Okay. In oh, uh, and in Berlin. Easy. Yeah, right. Oh. And that was another one of those, I'm not missing this. I saw Roger Waters once. Early like college? Like a cafe or like what? No, he did a, when he was at Target or XL, whatever. They're doing the wall yeah. tour yeah. again. And that was that was cool. I would love to go see that yeah. again. Um, but so I'm, I'm though, I'm seeing it in Berlin, in no man's land. So the walls come down. No man's land was between the east east wall and the west wall. There's that's where you know if you if you were an eastern Germany east Germany person and you're trying to cross through that space, that's the kill zone. You know that's that's how they kept it separate. Mm-hmm. So you didn't just have to have to have to have a, hop a wall. There was a you know I don't know hundred meters depending on exactly where it was. But, yeah. but in no man's land, and I was probably off 70, 75 yards off center stage. Uh, which was pretty God, awesome. That'd be fun. Pretty awesome. But you so you left October Berlin. Did you come back home immediately, or did they send you off somewhere else? So yeah, I'm in you know I'm in Germany uh, in the infantry. I'm supposed to get out of the service. Um, I was two weeks away from my ETS date, so I, you know I as I said earlier, you know I was signed up for two years infantry. Come home, go to college, use my GI Bill. Well. I get, I actually, everybody else is out in the field in West Germany um, doing training and stuff. And I came back to Berlin, uh, got off the train, came back to our, our company. My wife met me there, you know, and said, Hey, I'm pregnant. I'm like, oh, crap. You know, <laughs> okay, I'm, so I'm 20 years old, no school, no skill, and now a baby on the way. Change of plan, <laughs> change of plan. Because like I said, I got, I was gonna get, I was ETSing, I was gonna get, I'm getting out, I'm going to college, you know, peacetime, all that. Uh, so now I've got a baby on the way. I decide to re-enlist, you know, just. So I went and talked to the re-enlistment folks, and they hand me the book and say, I said, I don't really want to stay in the infantry because now instead of going to school, I want to pick up a skill that's useful, you know, uh, and. The infantry and all its coolness, you know, you get to, you're, you're, I had got to try out for, I got to try for my Schutzesnare, which is a German marksman badge. You know, you're throwing grenades, you're setting up claymores. I mean, it's, you know, it's all very manly stuff and pretty cool. But I also recognized that's not a, not a, that's not going to trans, it's not a good transition (laughs) career, you know. Uh, I had an uncle that, you know, did nuclear sub stuff. That transitioned well for him. <laughs> um, so I, I t- got re-enlisted and became a 52 Charlie, uh, which is utility equipment repair. Um, and had only had the infantry experience. And then so anyway, ut- uh, 52 Charlie, utility equipment repair, which is, you know, uh, you're m- kind of a minor in generator repair, but a major in refrigeration. So I became uh, and heating. Mm-hmm. So I became an HVAC guy in the military. They love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? It's hot. We wear long sleeves all the time. All the time. It's terrible. So when I when I left Germany, I went to Fort Belvoir, Virginia, for my training. 
uh, and that is when that's the time when Desert Storm uh, starts ramping up and uh, you know then that's you know for me had the Cold War experience uh, actually you know I'd gotten somewhat kind of they told you when you when you get to Berlin, kind of back this up a little bit when you when you arrive in Berlin very uh, cloak and dagger they tell everybody we're we're under the spyglass here right and you you probably will get interrogated or you'll you have these oper- these things will happen to you mm-hmm. okay okay very James Bond <laughs> I actually had it happen you know uh, a buddy of mine and I all of a sudden find ourselves being you know kind of divide and conquer and you find yourself in these having these back corner conversations and these young ladies are asking you oh who's your captain who's this who, what's, what vehicle does he drive do you remember his license plate number and you're like what the hell I used to date this guy and I'm wondering if it's him it's like Okay, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, I don't remember his name, but his license plate. Number. But his license wait, plate one. number. Yeah. And so within a few minutes. Blood and his social security number. <laughs> <laughs> you have a fingerprint, blood sample, you know, dog tags. Photo, photo of him and list of his fears in the back. Yeah, exactly. like, <laughs> you know, and anyway, so we had that happen. And then uh, now I go, that was, it was pretty cool. Like actually now that in hindsight, I was like, oh, wow, that was, it was real deal. Um, so anyway, I go to school for HVAC, Fort Belvoir, Virginia. Well, now the other side is kicking up, you know, the actual combat side. And uh, at this time, I if you know, I, I have a pregnant wife. Um, I'm she's back here in Wisconsin. I'm in Virginia, um, and that I starts. That's going to put some strain. Yeah, on, yeah, and that that's they say that's the other side that got very real. And I'm with a bunch of guys, and that, and we're being told, we're being told. Gentlemen, you're going to the desert. And of course, everybody's like, what? We're, you know, we're air conditioning guys. Why would we go to the desert? That's for the combat guys. Right. And they're like, yeah, missile systems, computers, air conditioning. Oh, crap. <laughs> crap. Um, and so, you know. A mistake. Yep, yep. I, I, thought I, was, I thought I was getting away from this. Well, no, because there's just because, well, as I mentioned, the, the lady I work with, Jill, I mean, she was a truck driver and taking fire. So, you know, it's not just the combat people that are in harm's way. Mm-hmm. Were you paying attention to the news at all at the time? Oh, yeah. I, know, I think it was CNN that was predicting like 40,000 casualties mm-hmm. in the first X amount of months, yada, yada, yada. Oh, because Saddam's, uh, I remember, the something guard. Um, Republic. His Republic guard, they were all like special forces. They were all very, you know, badass and and so they're, they're making those predictions so context for me we are watching the news i mean i'm now i'm at that time i'm the older guy i'm an e4 i'm a specialist i've had you know some time in the infantry everybody else is right out of basic but they all have girlfriends and wives and children and yeah we were watching the news we're every you know every time you're not in class and you're not being tasked with something we're all piled on top of each other watching the news, hearing these reports going, oh shit. And so lots and lots of those late night hour, the barracks, you know, when the lights go out. And uh, the lights go out, you're all sitting there, you know, nobody's sleeping, nobody's sleeping. And uh, you're just staring at the ceiling if you're on the top bunk and staring at the bunk above you if you're on that bunk 
and uh, yeah, a lot of it, that's about as close as I got to oh shit, and you know you're going and. And again, some really good conversations too. Uh, by the way, some of the, some of the best, uh, most meaningful in my lifetime. Uh, one of them is well, my one of my favorite story with my dad. Uh, so again, the biker poet, mm-hmm. uh, rebel, and fantasy anarchist. Fantasy anarchist. My dad uh, <laughs> called he called himself that. Um, so I'm on the phone with my dad. Uh, everybody, you know, he's watching the news. He, I, and I called him up. I said, "Dad, okay. uh, I think I'm going." <laughs> nice puppy. Yeah, uh, all day, every day. All day, then, every day. So we, uh, I'm talking to my dad, and I'm telling him, "Hey, I, I'm, you know, we're going." And again, fantasy anarchist. He, he, he missed out on Vietnam. Uh, had a bad knee. Can't send you. So he says, "Son." You say the word, I'm coming to get you. Now, you know, and I've got a pregnant wife, and, and you know, and I, you say the word, I'm coming to get you. We'll get you out of there. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll get this squared away. We'll hide you out, you know, <laughs> ship you off to Canada, whatever. <laughs> and uh, and I just, you know, I said, well, thanks, Dad. I, I, I appreciate that. But this is what I did. Now, I signed up. This is what I'm doing. I, I volunteered for this. You know, and you know it's not part of my After. not part of my plan, but you know, okay, who who knew? Because you know, when you, again, when I signed up, peacetime, right? Things are fun, yay! You just all benefits, no cost, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so anyway, uh, I'm gonna just back it up one more time because yeah. when I when I came out when I was in Berlin. I came back early to before I ETS. I changed my plan, re-enlisted. I got orders to go to Fort Belvoir, Virginia. So this is one of those again luck and happenstance. I I re-enlisted, got those orders. Everybody else comes back I, within a couple of weeks. I'm you know metaphorically I'm standing there with my orders in my hand to go to Fort Belvoir, Virginia. All of my infantry buddies are being told they're going to the desert. And I'm like, again, pregnant wife, all of my my brothers. Um, it's like, shit. Kind of that was one of my first, this is, things just kind of getting real. Um, they were told that they hadn't gotten orders at the time and I was supposed to ship out like two days later. Um, so again, again, I left, but I was like, ooh, I guess I, you know, luck and happenstance just didn't happen. Um, went to HVAC school in Fort, you know, fast forward, go back to HVAC school, Fort Belvoir, Virginia, four months. Uh, you got to spend some weekends in our nation's capital, which was really pretty cool too. Whole another another thing. Uh, so from there, I, I get I finish up HVAC school. I get I get orders to go to Fort Sam Houston, Texas. Now serving as an HVAC guy. <laughs> show up my my wife had arrived prior with my parents they had found a, an apartment had everything kind of lined up to go back to you know normal life right <laughs> normal domestic life uh, I, I turn I show up the next morning at Fort Belvoir or excuse me Fort Sam Houston and uh, show up to the you know the uh, in-processing office and 
the sergeant, you know, as I show up, he first gives me a little bit of, hey, you're supposed to show up, you know, you're supposed to go right from the airport to here. Well, I had gone to my apartment that night and just, you know, showed up at eight o'clock the next morning. I didn't know. So <laughs> first he gives me a little shit. Uh, and then uh, he's, he, then he says, well, it's also must be your lucky day, Specialist Murphy. Why is that, Sergeant? Because about 10 minutes ago, I got orders to stop sending people. So I show up to Fort Sam Houston. The base is mostly empty, you know, because everybody else is over in the desert. It's a medical, you know, unit. They're, they're the hospital. They're the field hospitals. They're mostly over there. He gets, or he, he gets orders to stop sending people. I show up. Well, now what do you do with me? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so they put me in a headquarters company, and I end up working for mostly for the next two years in uh, the Department of Engineering and Housing, which is military, it's, it's support of all the, well, engineering and housing there. They take care of the buildings, the hospitals, the houses on base. I'm working with retired guys, retired military guys that are now civilians working for the, you know, the Department of Homeland, well, not Homeland Security, but DEH, Department of Engineering and Housing. And I spent two years on base Fixing air conditioners, learning, getting more in on the trade. There was one other guy uh, in that same situation who was rewinding electric motors, you know. And so it wasn't, that was pretty, pretty good duty, you know, uh, in Texas. And that's where my, my daughter was born, you know. But hmm. anyway, uh, two years there, uh, working with a guy, Dave Ham. He's probably long since passed, but he was he was a retired military guy and uh, probably getting close to retiring from Department of Engineering and Housing. He was very old school <laughs> and really fun to work with. I mean, just you know, when you're the young, you're the young, no, no, nothing, and you're working with the guy that's sixty something years old and pretty rough around the edges. It was good stuff. Did you have the uh, the sense to shut up and listen, if you will? Uh, because as I've had that, I work for a big corporate company. We have a guy who trains all new assistant managers on how to use paintbrush, how to use a roller. And he's been with the company since 1940-something. Did I hear that right? Yeah. Brush and roller? Yeah. And me, I, I used to, I painted houses for a living for three yeah. years, and I went in there, and I didn't tell anyone in my training class that I did this, but when I walked in... And his name's Andy, and Andy goes, I've been with the company, here's my tenure, blah, blah, blah. I retired three times, I kept bringing back to teach you guys how to do this. I'm like, I'm just going to shut up and listen, because he knows something I don't. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I learned a few things. Mm-hmm. And, we had, and I got to talk to him afterwards, I'm like, yeah, I used to paint, blah, blah, blah. I fundamentally disagree with you on this product, because this is why. And he goes, oh, and then explained his logic. And I'm like, oh. Son of a that okay, you make a good point. <laughs> right, right. But but you could be, but because for your first your first go at it was shut up and listen. Yeah. Uh you didn't corner yourself with him as that guy. Right. You know, the know it right. all. Yeah, yeah. No, I did. I, I uh David been doing it a long time. Now of course this is also in nineteen ninety three they had the Clean Air Act. Well, I'm, I became an HVAC guy before the Clean Air Act. So some of the practices were, well, dirty air, <laughs> you know, <laughs> vent it out, create the giant hole in the ozone, whatever. 
And it was it, some of my memories are listening to him balk about the transition. We never had to. Yeah, yeah, I understand. But Dave, you know, whether we like it or not, this is how it's going. You know, fist pumping. and yeah. I still get that. The There's a few that are still holdouts. They still remember lead-based paint. Now. Sure. It's so superior to latex, but their majority are... Back in my day, we only used oil-based, and that's superior. I'm like, well, oil hasn't changed in 40 years. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, same same thing. But the lead-based paint is, uh, you know, causing... A little, spa- you know, a little toxic for our children as they eat it, you know. <laughs> Chips by Lay's. <laughs> right, right. But, so you... Like you said, by luck and happenstance, you didn't get deployed over to twice. The twice. Twice. Just, yep. So did you just finish up your career then with the Department of... No, no. I, I then uh, spent, you know, almost two years there uh, and was thinking, you know, went home on vacation or on leave uh, with my wife and one child and came back... Um, after leave, came back, and I was going to hit my uh, my NCOIC, hit him up to see about transferring, re-enlisting, and transferring. I wanted to go to Alaska. You know, go up to Fairbanks. There was, uh, and what I recall, that first morning back, he's like, oh, before I could even talk to him, he's like, oh, Murphy, you know, see me after after we're done. Okay. Go talk, you know, talk to him. I had orders to go to Hawaii. You know, they pulled me out and were tasking me to go to Hawaii. I was like, oh, okay. You know, now I grew up in Hawaii, so I was uh, not, you know, I wasn't like, whoa, over the top excited. But it was, you know, I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, talked to my wife about it. And I said, Do we, I, I'm sure I could get, I could trade with somebody who just got orders to go to Alaska that would rather go to Hawaii. This is prime. So if we want to trade out, I'm sure we can. And the decision was, take those orders. And so we went to Hawaii. And uh, uh, I did a year there. My son was born there, uh, Wahiwa General Hospital. Because then, so now I've you know, I've got two kids now. And, and uh, I was, uh, yeah, finishing up my career. I finished up at in you know after a little over a year in Hawaii, so it was ended up with you know five years, three months, three days. <laughs> Who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> no, we uh, so I ended up in a again another headquarters company, and in the military you got kind of there. There's levels of uh, service that they're allowed to do. You know, I mean, the guys that are in the company working directly, like setting up the HVAC equipment and stuff. It's like all they're really allowed to do is plug it in and turn it on. And that's like the level of their responsibility, and which is unfortunate. So then it moves up like, I think there's maybe at the time, maybe there's five levels. I don't recall exactly. Um, but I was like at a level three or four shop. That was so it was it was kind of nice. We actually got to do something. And sort of like I talk about uh, when I was in the infantry, we were a combat support company, you know, snipers, scouts, tow mortars, all that. Well, this company was like that for maintenance. You know, we had the vehicle mechanics, we had the heavy equipment mechanics, we had HVAC, and then we had generator guys too. So you have this whole group of fix-it people. 
So that was pretty cool. You know. And I ended up, uh, like I say, after five years, uh, it was it was time to uh, my my grandparents came to visit in Hawaii. Uh, my uh, retired my military grandfather uh, Francis Cabreski and retired. You know, he was there visiting, hanging out with my him and my grandmother, and uh, like a week after their visit, she she was my favorite. You know, just she just we just connected real well. And uh, she was killed in a car accident in Michigan, like, you know, within a week of that visit. And so now I'm 23 years old. I've got, you know, wife, two kids. And it, it kind of woke me up that is this how I want my children being raised? You know, bouncing every couple of years. Uh, had I stayed in, my daughter would have been like 18 or something the year I retired, if I retired at 20. And I, I just, I didn't, at, me at the time, I didn't think that's what I wanted to do for my kids. And the untimely death of my grandmother really uh, kind of, ooh, that could have been my mom, could have been my dad, mm-hmm. could have been, you know, my wife's parents, could have been, could have been anybody. And it sort of just was like, a natural and, and at that time the the military was uh, downsizing so it was real basically you just had to raise your hand and say okay I'm done <laughs> and they're like okay and whoop so that's kind of what I did you know just and came back to Wisconsin after that yeah yep what was what was like coming home I mean did their friends or family throw any reception for you or take you down to the bar and nope nope that I, that kind of ties in exactly with oh, that God. yeah cool yeah and you're and you're back hey you know and again you come back I was 23 everybody else had gone you know not everybody else but a number of them you know they were either just working young working adults trying to figure it out they went to college some of them did and again you were just gone for five years and having lots of super interesting experiences. I mean, like I said, I, I that time in Berlin was amazing. You know, time in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and being able to just really dig in. Um, you know, it's Texas, Hawaii. I had a lot of great experiences, you know. and But again, that don't ask, don't tell kind of general attitude about veteran status. He came back and there was no ticker tape, nothing. You know, your parents pick you up at the airport. Hey, welcome back. Well, okay, I have to, I have to back up. It wasn't even like that because we were in Hawaii. My we my flew with my family to Seattle. They I then got them to their plane because I shipped my car. So they then took a flight from Seattle to Minneapolis. They were picked up at the airport. I drove by myself <laughs> in a 1981 Chevy Malibu. <laughs> From Seattle back home across Mount, you know, the mountains of Montana, mm-hmm. North Dakota, etc. Yeah, it was sort of anticlimactic. I know that uh, about a year or so after I got out, uh, we were also, you know, used to things, right? And I remember having a sit-down conversation, you know. My wife and I kind of sat down at the table and was like, okay, 
what do we want to do here? This is the, the, the lack, the, just the lack of discipline, the lack of structure, um, the general lack of respect that people give each other. Um, you know, one of the things that I really, I appreciated, and it, it, it fit me well, I mean, it's a, it's a real community. You know, you're all kind of in it together. You're all, you know, young and dumb, but you're also in it together. Um, it's one of the things that I've actually, uh, on a different note about kind of our current, I was getting out of the service around the time, pretty sure there was a, a change at the federal government level where they were wanting downsizing the active duty military, but I noticed they were also trying to up the National Guard and reserves. It's a lot cheaper. You, you have them come in, they do their training on the weekends, you send them home, they're paying their own rent, they're paying their own mortgages, and they're feeding themselves, but then when you need them, you can still pull them. <laughs> and uh, I opted not to go that route. Uh, and again, going back to, you know, I had a son-in-law in and other people I know, it it's really, they get kind of a raw deal. Uh, you know, again, speaking of the Vietnam raw deal, when when people in the National Guard go over, their families are left behind, paying them. You know, they may, they probably are most of them are probably making less money in the National Guard than than they were in their regular job. Mm-hmm. So now their mortgages still do, and their wife is here with their kids or, or husbands. I don't, I don't want to even go there. I mean, you got you know it goes both ways. I, I know both both sides. So the spouse is left here with the kids, not as much money. And the, the hard part, it just and this is just me yapping, but the family left behind, they're kind of, they're on their own with this, you know, kind of alone in their challenge. If I had gone when, you know, as I'm stationed in Hawaii, uh, I'm living on base. Every family around me is doing the same thing. So the service member deploys you have all the support of an entire city is behind you. You know, it's all set up that way. In in the guard, there's I, the special challenges of that is, you know, my, my daughter kind of lived that. And it's just, it's uh, unfortunate, you know, that while, while the community is generally supportive, I mean, it's not, it's not Vietnam. Again, I don't want to go back to that, but everybody's just doing their normal thing normal life yet they the family of the deployed service member it's not normal for them you know and which is tough which is tough sit sit down why um you kind of bring us back i just i was we took a little break there and i wanted to uh you know you asked about a drill sergeant um and i, I mentioned drill sergeant harad there was some others uh the other one I, I had just I kind of feel compelled to mention on that was First Sergeant Ramsey. Uh, when I was in the infantry in Berlin, um, you know, again historically, kind of as I get older and appreciate some of these things, First Sergeant Ramsey is you know he's an he's an E eight. Um, he's our he's our you know he's our company guy. He's the he's the NCOIC of the company. Um, he was a Vietnam-era pathfinder. 
So he's the guy. He's the guy. He's the guy, right? <laughs> so here I am, little, still wet behind the ears, probably, you know, just out of diapers kind of thing. I'm that 18-year-old. I, You know, I don't know that I ever thought I was a hot shot, but, you know, you think you're smarter than you are. Right. Uh, we all do. And you get over there, and then my first company is First Sergeant Ramsey. The guy. I mean... Tell the name alone. <laughs> I, uh, he was, I, I think he was from like Alabama, maybe Louisiana. He was down, from down south. And uh, so one of the things in the infantry that, at least in my experience in the infantry, they wanted, they, they kind of liked you to be built like a gazelle. You know, like you're, you're this human, you can run, you can just go. Uh, as you know me, I, I'm not that guy. <laughs> I mean, even, you know, I, I lift, I, I do all that. I'm, I, you know, 50 years old, I still lift, etc. But so even in the infantry, I'm 200, at my lightest, I was 220 pounds. And some of these guys were 6'2", 150, and made, just made to run. And, you know, he's kind of that guy. And even in his, he had to be in his mid-30s, I would assume, or early 30s. Because, you know, again, 18, everybody's old. <laughs> Um, so he's probably at the 20 year mark or so in his career. So that puts him back, you know, if at 1988, if you're 20 years in, that puts you 1968, you know, and God, I mean, just that guy can run. <laughs> and so, yeah, he's probably 38 years old. And one of the things I, tw- two years in a row, I ran the Berlin 25K. So, you know, I'm, again, 220, 230 pounds, and 25K is like 17-something miles. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite quotes, uh, you know, with First Sergeant Ramsey is that, you know, we're talking about the Berlin 25K, and he's, it's a civilian race. So, I can't make you run that race, goddammit, but I can sure as hell make you train for it. <laughs> Double time! And... <laughs> We, we would we were running and running and running all over Berlin and just beating the piss out of yourself. I didn't like to run. I like to lift. But I figured I'm in the best shape of my life, forcibly, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to run the race. Uh, a couple of memories pop up as the you, you've, you're out training in Berlin. Now, you have to go back to 1988. You're surrounded by East Germany, which is way behind in technology. They're burning coal. Their cars are just not very clean. Every time you'd come back from your runs, you'd have black soot around your lips. You're, you're running in the winter, and they're burning coal, and you're in the, you know, black, you're bur- blowing out black boogers. I mean, it's great, right? <laughs> And I think back, like, oh, yeah. And I remember could taste it. You could just, like, you're tasting the, you know, I don't know, the sulfur or whatever. But uh, And then, of course, now the other side of running the race, the first year, again, you're 18. You're just in the military. You're not, you're not a runner. You're just doing it. I finished the race, and people are, like, pointing at me and laughing. And I'm like, oh, what, what? And I, as I, I saw a picture later, and people pointed out, I didn't do anything with my nipples. And I'm wearing a white T-shirt, and from from there, from my nipples down to my waist, were just giant blood streams, you know. And I also learned why you take care of that because you jump in the shower, and now 
you're <laughs> it was rather painful and the chafing between your legs too right as you uh, anyway I just I, I wanted to bring up first Sergeant Ramsey and uh, just being you're kind of talking about you know like Dave Hamm that guy the old guy the old HVAC guy mm-hmm. uh, of course you always gave first Sergeant Ramsey you, you, you shut up and listen oh you had no you no you did that's what you did you just shut up and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, have you kept in touch with any of the guys that you were serving with? Yeah, yeah. In fact, so friends. In fact, yeah. And I imagine it's gotten easier, of course, with yeah, it helps. Media. But you know, we're all kind of old school. Uh, Is this I, the letters, right? Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're still writing letters and licking stamps, and uh, it, about once every five years. No, no, we, we are. We, we've we've adopted some of the new technology. Uh, Beepers. Beepers. We've got to be pagers. And, oh, yeah. No, one of the guys, uh, like Matt Olson, uh, he lives in Iowa. Uh, I, you know, we yeah, probably once a year, you know, we get a little get a little uh, email group thing going. And In fact, I was supposed to be Matt Olson, uh, Richard Wen. Uh, he's actually, uh, he, he got out of the infantry, became a British Bobby for a long time. Right? Weird. And then he now is married to a German woman and lives in Germany. Uh and Corey Simpson's part of our email group. I met him. He's from Durand, Wisconsin, but we met in Berlin. Uh, a couple other guys I, I haven't contacted in a long time. Uh, and then uh, Angel Dorado is a guy. He's a, a Puerto Rican guy that uh, I met when I was in Hawaii. And I just talked to him a week and a half ago. You know, so there's some of these guys. You meet anyone where they're from, but... <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> Puerto Rico to Hawaii, but Durand in Berlin... Yep. Yeah, no, you don't meet anybody where they're from. That's well that's how things work in like life in general, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the amount of shows you and I go to, we'll run into somebody like in a different state and they're like, Oh yeah, because I live in St. Paul. Yeah, sure. And they'll be like, Oh, well you're from northern Wisconsin? Yeah, I went to Ladysmith. What? <laughs> We're in Illinois. <laughs> Not Why are you here? I exactly. I was in Orlando, Florida for a work thing and there's 10,000 of us in this hotel, mm-hmm. and everybody goes to this one bar. I'm like, I'm going to go to the quiet restaurant that's going to be closing soon so I can, you know, hold a conversation yeah. with somebody. Mm-hmm. And I go, hey, um, yeah, let's get a brandy old-fashioned suite. Guy at the end of the bar who's not part of the company goes, where did Wisconsin be from? What? <laughs> that, is so, a, that, that is a giveaway. Turns out he's from uh, the, uh, the other side of the state, Green Bay, Appleton yeah, yeah. area. And so we started talking about that. It's like, wow, what a small, small world. world. Yep, Smoke for sure. The day. And something I wanted to unpack with you, uh, we've talked about, I don't know how many times at the gym, and you, we touched base there for a minute, yeah. that you didn't feel like you're a, quote-unquote, air quotes, mm. true vet, because you didn't mm. serve in combat. I mean, have you, yeah. and you've we've talked about it, like I said, uh, have you had those conversations with any of the guys that you served with? or And I know you've talked to other, you know, um, there's a lady that works for Washburn County yep. who did see combat. Yeah. But kind of gave you that. Um, she she called me out on it. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. Again, I the time I served, you know, was generally peacetime, and then and there's generally that don't ask, don't tell thing. Nobody nobody really cared. Um. And so yeah, and as I said, you kind of had to cajole me here a little bit to <laughs> to get me to do this, because of that. I mean, it sort of hangs with me a little bit. Um, uh, but I'm I'm getting better, I guess. <laughs> Because well, you know, I mean, I, again, I have a brother-in-law that, that served in Vietnam and and definitely did combat stuff, and I mean that that was a major major part of his experience. 
Um, so I'm getting better with that. You know, the real vet. I, I, I did. I did struggle with that. I mean, again, because I and, and, and not that I felt bad about it. Just was like, okay, that's just what I did. Let's keep. You know, just move on. You know. Um, but as I've gotten older, I, you know, I didn't even fully understand how few people actually even serve. You know, I, I didn't know that. You know, uh, first time I experienced that was at the Spooner Rodeo. And, you know, they, they kind of call out veterans and say, hey, guys, thank you. Um, and it was really nice. And then they, would you, would you please stand up, you know, so we can just see you and thank you. And uh, so I'm, I, I guess I don't know what I was expecting. I don't know, maybe 20% of the crowd stand up. And no. I mean, I just, what is, I, like you shared it with me one mm-hmm. time, it's like three, 2%, 3% of the population yeah. actually do that. I can't remember the exact number. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's really not very many. Um, but for me, the experience, I'm immersed with those guys. Right. You know, this is what we're doing, and I'm part of that community. And I guess sort of take it for granted when I'm then out in the general population, and you do that, and you stand up, and I'm like, well, there's like, you know, eight people in this whole place <laughs> that, that stood up. Now, I'm sure some of them didn't stand up. And that's okay too, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I've co- I've come to a different appreciation of it, you know, as I've gotten older. And have you had conversations with that with other vets that yeah, might be in that same boat? Last night, last night, uh, I got a buddy of mine, uh, Richard, that he's a late seventies uh, Air Force vet, and you know, did his did his four years, got out, went to college. And, uh, you know, he's kind of in that same boat of, you know, don't really feel, and again, not a real vet, air quotes, as you yeah. said. You just, when there's so many other people, well, that served, died, uh, maimed, I mean, serious business. I mean, this is serious business. And again, just by, again, I use that term, luck and happenstance, I just... I didn't have that. And he kind of feels that same, generally the same way. I won't speak for him, but it's, uh, I have no doubt that I'm not alone in that, uh, that sense. I mean, I got, I got, uh, buddies I went to high school with that, you know, buddy and neighbor, I mean, he did a bunch of jumps in Panama and, you know, I mean, during the same time period I was in, um, and yet, so I, I don't, I didn't, yeah. Anyway. No, it's a, I think, you know, and it kind of put it in perspective for me, you know, if you look at the Forrest Gump, obviously just Hollywood, but yep, yep. character Forrest Gump got shot, you know, it felt like something came up and bit me. Yep. You know, but then you look at the character Lieutenant Dan who lost both his legs. Yeah. They're both awarded the same medal for it. Yep. I had a math teacher who was awarded a combat medal I can't remember whichever one but he was just a mechanic on airplanes in Vietnam hmm. and of course they're in a, a base which is the size of a city yeah. and they had small arms fire on the opposite side that he was on but because he's on base he still got the medal and he goes why did I yeah that I could I see this? that would be tough yeah. I I um, in my in my time in the infantry I did earn my EIB which is a expert infantryman's badge um, and I'm kind of demonstrating basically proficiency in the field uh, and I also because I because I was stationed in Berlin uh, I was also awarded my Army of Occupation Medal 
Um, and again, it, it's all it's true. I, I I was part of an occupying army, um, but it, it just you know again like that guy he happened to you know he happened to be on base. I mean maybe Berlin was a little more engaged than that because you're mm-hmm. still out in the city and you're surrounded by you know Soviet bloc countries and yeah I, I could see where he might struggle with that too kind of like yeah thanks but right but he wasn't even aware that they were even their base took fire because they're so yeah far apart yeah, yeah some of these bases are pretty darn big but so for somebody listening that maybe they are or were in the same boat as you where they didn't feel like again air quote real vet i mean is there any advice you would or uh knowledge you would impart with them um, the to the people that I would consider I, I've brought this I've, I've had these conversations with those quote real vets I mean that I consider you know the real deal um, the one in particular uh, that got me there first you know uh, Jill the lady I work with she, she you know basically called me out called me out on that, that you know bullshit uh, and others have done the same because that kind of started the convert. I didn't even I didn't even know that I was doing that with my veteran status, and uh, she kind of brought that to my attention. I've talked to others, talking to Richard. He felt the same way I did, um, and I guess to those veterans, uh, you know, my my brothers in that uh, in that way, sisters as well. I guess what what I've been uh, educated on is basically I was there. I stood up. I, I signed up, raised my right hand, and basically you know, said I'd do what I what needed to be done. Uh, and again, go back to that. Just for me, it was just luck and happenstance. You know, uh, I I volunteered, and my 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 country in quotes. My, my country didn't need me in that way. Uh, and so, like I said, in all of this, the older I get, the more I can kind of appreciate that, you know. Uh, and for what it's worth, I've, I've learned to, I continue to serve my country in other ways. I mean, it's part of how we met, mm-hmm. you know, and all of that. Because um, I'm, I, I guess, a fan. Uh, I think it's important. To just serve because that, that it's cliched if you're not part of the solution you're part of the problem um, and I just continue to do I, I started I guess when I was 18 you know just do what you can do what you can and last question before I have to change batteries out yeah for anyone that's looking to go into the military maybe they're on the fence or maybe it's just kind of at the back of their mind I mean is there any advice you would offer them um, yeah, <laughs> as a, I, I probably have had this conversation with you. If I hadn't, it's coming. Um, you know, I, I coached for a high school, high school track team for a long time. Uh, last season, COVID kind of cut this one short, but it would have been my 22nd season doing that. And so I, I have a lot of contact with uh, young people that are trying to figure out what they're going to do. And every once in a while, I run into the person that's wanting to do something with the service. And, you know, I tell them, hey, as a veteran, I will I would encourage you to do that. But what I usually encourage 
is like like I did the, my second enlistment. You know, was get something that transfers out. I mean, if you're if you're gonna go uh, at the time when I when I enlisted, uh, the mili- the army's motto was you know it's a great place to start. <laughs> they might still be doing that, and I get all I can say is it absolutely was. Uh, I am. I'm now 50 years old. Uh, I went. I got my schooling in the military, and a lot of experience, and a lot of life experience, and I've been using all of that. It was a great place to start for me, and you know, I, I also understand not everybody had that experience, and so I, I can only speak for myself. And I got, I got lucky. You know. Well, that's all I got. Justin, anything? Closing thoughts? No. Uh, have you ever seen me so quiet? Yeah. <laughs> you just first time me. for everything. I don't, I'm, I'm a talker. Uh, no, this is super cool to hear. This is actually the first No Story Left Behind I've been on. Um, and uh, at least on my end, like, that's, this is a, a very different perspective than you see from a lot of people. Sure. Um, I feel like right now there's a lot of culture, and I can't speak to it. I'm not military. I come from a military family. Sure. Um, but a lot of it right now is very much push back against like gen pop if you will because they're like you don't understand and it's like well no we don't but also don't be an asshole yeah no there's, need there's, for that. there's, there's yeah. no reason for it no and just like like i was saying about my experience i mean i also was not the guy that just because just because because of where i come from with my military experience just because somebody didn't serve in the the military doesn't mean they're not serving their community I mean, there's people that do all kinds of stuff that serve their country, mm-hmm. even if it's as simple as getting up, going to work, earning a paycheck and paying your taxes and contributing to just being a citizen. Mm-hmm. That's huge. You know, I just think a lot of it's come down to a pushback. Like you said, you know, it's a very different time. And I see this huge. with no disrespect to anybody. I feel like a lot of times right now. Like, I joined the the military. It's now a personality trait. Oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. that's the that's more what I mean about it. Is like we all know the type. Yeah. It, but wear it on their sleeve. Yeah. Quite literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, I, and there's nothing wrong with being proud of it. I and mean, that's not a problem at all. But no. yeah, like like you said earlier, you know, uh, there's a, a common respect for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it brings up. But yeah, that's that's all I got. This has been actually super fun. I hope to do more of these. And Kiko, I mean, I know I can't speak for Gordon, but thank you. Like this yeah, has been super absolutely. Fun. Thank you absolutely. for having us as well. Yeah, so. absolutely. Thank, thanks for thanks for uh, allowing me to to do this too. I just on a on a, on a personal note, um, my daughter is going to be thirty. You know, the uh, I'm missing out. This COVID has kind of canceled a Berlin thirty year reunion. Mm-hmm. You know, we were going to be doing that this year down at uh, oh, uh, Fort Campbell. I think we're going to get together and camp. Which was I was really looking forward to that. Well, we're not doing that. Um, and my daughter is also now twenty nine. You know, she was the she was the pregnant. The, my wife was pregnant at that time with that. And actually, just this last Father's Day, uh, my daughter is getting to that point where she's interested uh, in. You know, she's she's starting to see her parents as people, mm-hmm. and, and it's been like that for a while. But she's really like she actually gave me a little uh, a, a questionnaire book. <laughs> you know, Dad, tell me your story for Father's Day, and uh, I haven't started it yet, but I guess I just did. Right, right here. <laughs> <laughs> That's super cool. 
Thank you again, everyone, to tuning into No Story Left Behind. It was a huge blast sitting down with Kiko. He was kind of not kind enough to open up his house to myself and Justin, and we will be back next time with on Rules of the Arena for a fireside chat with Kiko and Justin. We kind of went down the rabbit hole on being an amateur athlete and working out in the gym and such. You can find both shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. If you want to stay up to date with new live recordings, follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. You can join our conversations live on Twitch. Just search for Rules of the Arena, and you can also find previous live recordings on YouTube. Many of you asked how you'd like to how you can support the show. Please tell your friends, your family, and maybe that annoying coworker that you don't want to talk to uh, about the show. And you can also support the show directly by heading over to patreon.com. I have a little tip jar set up there. Just a buck a month really helps me out, bring you new shows, and forces Casey's to keep the lights on on the studio for me. Thanks again, everyone, and I will catch you next time.